Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals and the greater community. Really excited today to have physiotherapist Jerome Lugo on the show. Welcome, Jerome. Thanks, Pip. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Now, although we're doing our best to try not to always be talking about COVID, you know, it's been a huge couple of years and I think people are over the conversation, but today we're going to talk about it in relation to getting back to exercise and fitness and sport. So I am excited that we're talking about this today. Yeah, I think it's a really important issue for a lot of us. Um, I think here in Melbourne, a lot of us have been able to get away with not having COVID probably until probably the last couple of months in which the numbers have really soared. And now we're starting to see lots of people are coming back post-COVID and are wondering, what am I meant to be doing in terms of returning back to sport and physical activity? Yeah. And everyone's had different um, symptoms, haven't they? Like Some have had that cough, mm. but others haven't and have just had the fatigue and the headache. And so yeah. I'm sure um, you know the effects of returning it, it will be different for everybody. Yeah, that's it. I think if people can kind of have an idea in terms of the clarity around the guidelines and what they should be expecting, it will, let, it will make life a lot easier for people to return back to sport. And then also in terms of clubs, coaches, even parents and their expectations on what is okay and what's not okay around that, I think that's going to be really important and really interesting to discuss today. Yeah, fabulous. So tell us the effects of COVID on the body. Yeah. So I guess first and foremost, it's pretty easy to dismiss COVID, particularly for a lot of people when they've just had some mild symptoms. But we also have to understand what's actually happening there to the body. The virus is affecting the respiratory systems here. So it can cause an upper respiratory tract infection and a lower respiratory tract infection. And along with that can create some inflammatory effects to the whole system or the whole body. And so it's really easy to, to dismiss what COVID is. At the end of the day, you're dealing with an, an infection. And as the body is fighting off that infection, lots of things are happening in terms of your bodily systems. So first and foremost, you might notice that you might have a bit of a cough, a sore throat, a runny nose or a blocked nose, a headache, some fatigue, a fever. And these are all very, very common symptoms. But then we can get into some moderate or severe symptoms in which people are having shortness of breath, um, chest tightness. And then to a further extent, because of the inflammatory effects that COVID can have, people can also have, and albeit quite rarely, um, some organ damage and myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. Now, that's very rare. However, we also have to just bear in mind that COVID at the end of the day is an infection and that's what we're really dealing with. I think in regards to that, in terms of expectations, a lot of the people that I've seen anecdotally at sporting clubs and even patients that I've seen, they're expecting that they should be able to get out of their, you know, isolation or their seven days of isolation feeling pretty good and then they're getting completely knocked back as soon as they get back into a gym or returning back to running and I think that's because they're expecting that I feel pretty good but at the end of the day your body is actually still fighting an infection at that stage. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point because people are being told to isolate for their seven days and then once their symptoms are gone but that's not saying that at the end of those seven days you'll be okay, but it's probably been a little bit of a mis-messaging. It means you're not going to infect anyone else, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you've recovered. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because if we think of 
the infection, just like a regular musculoskeletal injury, say an ankle sprain, and you've had an ankle sprain, you're struggling to walk, but then as soon as you're pain-free, you're feeling like you can walk again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can run and sprint again on that ankle. And it's quite similar with COVID, I guess, in this stage where, yes, you come out of that isolation period, you're feeling pretty good, but, yeah, you're right, your your body hasn't completely recovered yet. Mm. An interesting stat regarding that is that Olympians, they, they did a big study around the Olympians or Olympic-level athletes that were going to the Olympics who had COVID and what they found was that those who did have COVID recovered in about 18 days. And that's not the seven to 10 day isolation period. That's Mm. actually another whole week. There was over 51% of people that recovered after 17 days. So if we're taking, you know, the regular punter or the regular person that's going to their sporting club day eight, after having their infection yeah. and they're expecting I should be able to return back to running. Well, the Olympians aren't doing it, so how can we? Yeah. And this is um, irrelevant as to whether you've got a cough or not. You know, this is the inflammation part of the body. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and the body's responses to that. And I guess in regards to that, there are a few risks. If we're not really listening to the body there, for some people that are returning back after that isolation period and they're trying to run at a really high level or go to the gym and return at a really high level, there are some risks regarding training during an infection. And a few of the things that we might see is that you can prolong the symptoms, the symptoms can get a little bit more irritable, um, and not only that, but your muscle strengths and neuro coordination is all reduced while you're fighting this infection. And I think it's really easy to forget that that body is still in that recovery process. So I guess the guidelines that we're about to talk about, they're to help mitigate any of those effects so that people that do come back after returning from their um, infectious state or during their isolation aren't faced with having prolonged sim- symptoms for you know, an extended period of time when they probably shouldn't have to. So is that where the term long COVID is coming in? Yeah. Uh, long COVID it also depicts that people that are having symptoms past the seven days or even up to 28 days, that can just be an effect of COVID itself and, and people that have depended on the immune system and, and how lucky they are, they can develop long COVID. But then we might also see some athletes that are returning really hard back after that seven or eight days and are starting to have prolonged symptoms for a long time and we can call that long COVID too. So that's something that you don't want to have for the rest of the season, particularly when it's, you know, it's only February right now. Mm would you want to have ongoing breathlessness, ongoing um, coughing, ongoing fatigue for, you know, the foreseeable future? Or could we nip this in the bud by doing some smarter things earlier? Mm. And particularly, you know, we're in Australia at the moment and it's summer, so you don't want to be going into this in winter. No, absolutely not because it it is probably bound to get worse. Um, And I guess those guidelines that I guess we're about to talk about now, they're, they're really important to follow. And if you've... I guess, been looking up or, or I guess if firstly, if you've had COVID and you're wondering, well, what am I actually meant to do? I keep hearing that I should have this gradual progression of returning back to activity. Well, there's some pretty obvious guidelines surrounding that, which I yeah, love you to share. Yep. Yeah. So firstly, take, for example, say I, I actually had COVID. So let's talk about my own experiences here. I feel like uh, the only one that hasn't at the moment. <laughs> you, you might be the luckiest <laughs> person in Melbourne at this stage. Um, so from... Day one to day seven, naturally, you're in this isolation period. And so what the guidelines suggest is after 10 days post your infection, so say you you got symptoms day one, say the 1st of Feb, by day 11, 
you'll be out of isolation, then you can start to look at doing some graded return to sport. What is the key there is that that's actually three days after your isolation period and a lot of people can get that missed up. The second part of that is you want to have seven days of having no symptoms at all. So if you've still been um, coughing or having some fatigue or even a fever at, say, day five, you shouldn't be really doing anything until day 12. Okay, so that ends up prolonging um, when you can start to do some things. And also on top of that, if you're also taking some medications as well, you don't want to be starting this process then. This is only really for people that are having mild symptoms as well. So it's for those that have had a bit of a cough, a runny nose, maybe a, a mild fever, but it goes away quite quickly. There are others that have had COVID, and as we talked about, the symptoms can really vary in terms of severity. Mm-hmm. So people that have had really um, harsh shortness of breath, really significant chest pain, they are not part of the, this guideline. Mm-hmm. For those people, they should be seeking medical attention. Yeah. If you've been in a hospital or you've had to um, check in or, or you've even been into ICU, you're not to follow these guidelines. These are for only mild um, symptoms. Yeah, hopefully you'd still be being seen by your medical professionals regularly if you yeah, have that's it. severely had it. Yeah, so your medical professionals will, will be handling that. But for those that have had milder symptoms and you're seven days having no symptoms at all, you're 10 days after having the first infection and you're not on any medication, the first thing that you might be looking at is doing 15 minutes of 70% of your max heart rate. And that is not a lot. A lot of people are getting into this trap of going all out day one, day two after being out of um, isolation. And I know for myself, speaking from personal experience, by day five of my infection, albeit it's just me, I felt really good. So you probably had a bit of cabin fever and wanted to get out there and get back into it. And so we're lucky we've got a little garage gym. And so I had a go at having having a, a pretty small workout immediately started having a headache again my cough came back and a sore throat came back pretty much immediately and so there are that is an obvious sign to your body Mm. saying hey you're not ready for this and it's the same way that our body would alert us if we had an injury and we started having pain again so luckily i listened to my body and i started looking up these guidelines and as it mentioned 70 percent max of your heart rate you can be using your fitbit or your your heart rate monitor you can even do that manually and only go for about 15 minutes. The aim of the game, the first two days, is just to start to reintroduce some exercise. Days one and two after that, if passing, so what I mean by passing is you're no longer getting more symptoms after your exercise, then you might be looking at doing 80% of your max heart rate and going for only half an hour. Doing that for two days, making sure you're not getting any ongoing symptoms after that, we've ticked that box. By the next couple of days, we might increase that to 45 minutes and the next day after that, increasing it to one hour. And what that ends up looking like is a total of seven days of gradually progressed exercise. There is a trap and the trap is to feel that by day eight or day 10 that I feel really, really good. Let's just get into it really hard. Instead of doing that, you're not allowing your body an opportunity to acclimatize to the fact that it actually hasn't done a lot for the last week. Mm. Not only is it important from an infection standpoint, but also from a detraining standpoint. So we talk a lot in the physio world about loading and that the body likes a certain amount of exercise. As soon as you've gone away and done nothing for 10 days, we have to be smart in terms of how do we get you back into a a high-level sport without irritating your muscles or your tendons or your ligaments. So that in itself is a really key part of this graduated return sport. Mm. And we know when people are um, unwell with a normal 
flu or things like that, that they're heightened risk of getting injured. Absolutely. You know, tiredness and fatigue and or ill. So, yeah. yeah. And we also know that if you are dealing with an infection, you've lost a little bit of muscle strength because your body's still recovering. Your coordination from a neural standpoint is still recovering. So not only are you recovering from an, from an illness, but also your performance is bound to be not quite there. Mm. And so if we're pushing our athletes to perform at a high level again at a short time frame, we're probably not doing them justice in terms of not only their, their body healing, but also their performance as well. Yeah. And it's important, obviously, to remember that different level of athletes. So you might have your high performing ones that we've talked about, but you might have your weekend, um, you know, warriors that are either playing footy or going for a run. Mm-hmm. They're going to be doing that at different levels as well, aren't they? Absolutely. And we also know that the higher the fitness level at the start prior to having COVID, the better the symptoms can be. Okay. So if you are a bit of a weekend warrior and you're not as fit as as some of these other athletes, you might find that it's a bit more of a prolonged period. And again, thinking about the expectation of those Olympic athletes, it was 18 days. So at the end of the day, a lot of us should be returning over the course of three weeks, maybe maybe even four. Mm. Set out the expectation early that you're not going to get back to sport immediately. It's going to be a little bit of a process. In terms of what the exercise might look like, the very start of it might just be doing your daily activities, feeling completely good in those first few days after your isolation period. And then that 70% of your max heart rate for 15 minutes, that might just be a power walk, that might just be kicking your footy around, not a lot of running. And then as you start to increase 80%, that might be a light jog or at least um, maybe some resistance training as well. And then as you keep building up to that seven-day mark where you've passed all the testing, you're now doing 60 minutes worth of exercise, then you might be looking at returning back into your training programs with the whole team. And I think we're lucky these days because so many people are wearing some type of um, watch that gives them feedback in relation to heart rate and um, keeping you know keeping up with how many steps you're doing and how far you're running and timing. So we're very fortunate that we've got that. Absolutely, it's really handy, and I think it also helps correspond people with their symptoms. So if they're feeling really good and their heart rate is you know sixty five percent, yet when they go up to ninety percent of their max heart rate and they start feeling oh this headache is coming back on, yep, you're probably overdoing it, mm. and your watch will tell you, and your body will tell you. So it's important to listen to both. Yep. And so you might have increased in day three or four and that might have hurt a bit, you know, physically in terms of your symptoms. So you you would then sort of go back? Yeah. So dialing it back is probably the most important thing. However, if what you're finding is that even dialing it back and you're doing less and you're going back a stage, you're noticing that you're getting a real sharp tightness in your chest or you're having really significant um, shortness of breath, then that is cause for going to see your GP immediately for that because that starts to, to raise some red flags for us that maybe your body is still healing and you're having some further issues. From a um, professional um, medical standpoint, I've talked to a few sports docs about this and they've mentioned to me that the way that they've been looking after their teams, if that is happening, they'll send for further blood tests and ECG. So it is a serious matter. So listening to that body is really important. Mm. Yeah. It's hard when people are wanting to get back into it, though, isn't it? Like anything, and as you said earlier, no different to an ankle sprain or other other physical injuries. It can be really hard when people just want to get back to where they were. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the importance of, uh, I guess, having clarity around this is 
setting that expectation early of how long is this actually going to take and also perhaps relieving some of the pressure around from your coaching staff if you're playing in a team or if you're playing in a, in a small group of mates on the weekend, telling them early and often that I might not actually be back for a few weeks here instead of rushing back into it. And I guess that brings us, I guess, to the next point here, which is around if you're a part of a team or you're an administrator of a, of a team or you're a coach of a team, what should you be expecting of your athletes as well? Um, as I've just said, it's, it's a fairly long process. So mm. if you've got a team and you've got, say, half the boys or half the girls have had COVID, is it a good idea in terms of mixing all of those people together immediately? The answer to that is probably not if you've been listening for yeah. the first few minutes. So it's something that I've implemented with my team. Again, it's anecdotal, but what we've been doing from a football um, perspective and even from a cricket club perspective is splitting up the team in terms of who's had COVID, how, how far along in that journey are you in terms of that gradual progression to return to sport, and then how are the other teams? So in terms of their, I guess, normal, lack of a better yeah. term, they haven't had COVID or they've passed all the testing and they're back to doing everything normally again. If you split up the group, then there isn't this crazy expectation for those that are recovering to have to perform at the highest level. They yeah. can just go at their own pace. And to what they may be used to in their normal pre-season. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. The issue here is that I've been hearing, again, anecdotally, but I've been hearing from a lot of clubs, coaches, players that they are pushing themselves to that really high level mm. when they're not quite ready. And, you know, if you had a, a person with an ankle sprain and you were pushing them too early, the same effect would happen later down the line. It would take much longer for them to recover. And for what purpose other than just rushing them back for when you probably didn't need them? Yeah. But when you're talking about football, we're in pre-season. Mm. And these players are wanting to perform and wanting to show and wanting to be picked. So, course, yeah. And when you physically can't see the injury, like yeah. a broken arm or, you know, a plaster cast or things, it, the pressure, perceived pressure that the players put on themselves to perform for the coach. So I think what you said before about we really need to make sure that our coaches are on board. Yeah. And I love what you've just said about how you've split the group because then you're not – you're not saying there's one or two that it can't keep up. You're saying, hang on, we've got a group of people that were ill and we're going to help them get back to their peak performance. No doubt. And if by doing that from a coaching standpoint, you're giving that athlete an opportunity to go and recover, not only will that athlete thank you for it, but also you might see that athlete perform better when the time is right. Mm. So maybe having that expectation and even having the discussions at a club, I think at a club level what we'd introduce was some really clear communication, messaging, clarity around what we expect with our athletes and what we expect with our coaches and setting that expectation early really helps to demystify, you know, is this player, you know, putting it on? Mm. No, they're not. And so having that clear communication early I think is really important for us here. And things have changed. This is new. We haven't experienced this before. You know, this isn't the winter flu. Exactly. And and even if it was the winter flu and you had a player that was coming back from the flu, a lot of the guidelines that I've just talked about there is to do with any viral respiratory illness. Mm. So say you did have a player that was returning from a really significant flu, they wouldn't be back out on the track, you know, day eight after. 
they would still be pretty sore and they would still be kind of struggling mm. dealing with an infection like we talked about, still recovering from an infection like we talked about. And you wouldn't push that athlete. You would let them have the time as, as required. I think it's just a, a, it feels to me that the community, or at least our community, hasn't had a significant illness um, like a flu or like a significant virus in the past couple of years. We've all been wearing masks, yeah. social distancing. Yeah. It hasn't been too common that people have been really getting sick. And now that we've got a virus that is spreading like wildfire, I guess, lots of people are getting sick mm. and our expectations are a little bit off. Yeah, yep. So we've talked about coaches and sporting clubs. What about parents that are making decisions for kids? Or maybe you might have a coach that's missed the mark and, and what, what can the parent do? Yeah, again, early expectations are important here. The guidelines in regards to kids um, go something like this. Um, those who are under the age of 12 can progress back to sports and physical education based on how they're feeling. So we know that the virus hasn't affected kids as significantly as it has with adults. So what they've found is just go by how the child is feeling and, and if they're feeling able but also keeping an eye out on those red flags. So those red flags being really significant shortness of breath, um, chest palpitations or heart palpitations and that tightness in the chest. If those things are happening, seek medical advice. But for the most part, if the child is feeling okay and, and you know, they, they, there's no signs of distress, they're good to go. For the kids that are over the age of 12, the expectation is very similar to a gradual return to sport as I've just outlined before, which is gradually progressing back through a turn of sport over seven days with slowly increasing heart rate, slowly increasing activity levels. I think if you're a coach or you're a parent within that sphere, again, knowing and I guess turning the light on in terms of what I can expect out of the, these athletes or these kids um, is really important so that we don't have to pressure our kids too mm. hard here. And I suppose listening out for, you know, the coughing or watching someone pull up quite out of breath after a run, like being another set of eyes and ears. I know we're saying keep an eye on our own bodies and monitor mm. our own symptoms and how we're feeling and don't try and over push it. But coaches and parents can actually raise it in conversation as well, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and parents often know best and sometimes kids have a difficulty with expressing what they're actually feeling. So if you're noticing something as a parent and uh, we would always rather that people take a conservative approach here, which means if you are seeing some of those signs of distress or you're noticing that things have changed, go seek some medical advice, go get it ticked off, um, make sure that's all good. Um, but, yeah, parents and coaches all have a bit of a duty of care to look after uh, our youngest. Yeah, and then all this knowledge that you've shared today, obviously sharing that with those that, you know, sharing with the kids if they're that age and actually explaining to them what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes back to that clear, well, the clarity around the communication and the expectations regarding a return to sport. And again, as you said before, this is completely novel. It's mm. so new for a lot of us um, and we haven't had anything like this. So setting some clear ideas on what we can do early and, and what's going to be allowed is really, really important. Mm. And I think pre-COVID, if you're if you had the runny nose and a bit of a cough, you'd still get out there and play. Yeah. But there are going to be this year and, you know, going forward, people that are missing out on their sport yep. because they've been they've either sick with COVID or they're recovering from COVID and it's just not right for them to be out there. So even that mental side of 
of players, athletes, kids understanding how important it is. Yeah, no doubt. There is a, a really quick rule here, which is the neck rule, and it's what we use for for players and or anyone really that's had a bit of an infection and they're wondering, am I good to return? And that n- neck rule goes. If it's if the symptoms are above the neck, so you know a bit of a runny nose, you know bit of some coughing, a little bit of sneezing, you're probably okay. But if you're feeling feverish, you're getting whole body aches, um, fatigue, the entire body is getting affected, then you're probably not right to play. And that is the uh, I guess a bit of a guideline for everyone, COVID or otherwise, mm. if you are dealing with an infection. So if you can latch onto some of those signs and symptoms early that maybe I am, my whole body is getting affected, then you might go seek some medical advice and then just following the gradual return back to sport. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that and hopefully this year people can really feel good about their return to sport Yeah, and not push themselves too hard, which we all do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we all do. And, you know, expressing my own story there, like I did multiple times throughout my COVID experience until I realised that it probably wasn't okay to just keep pushing my body to its limit. Um, And so I'm really excited for our community in terms of returning back to sport because we've missed it so much. Yes. And it's going to be so good for once we all can return and return safely. But I guess that's the key is returning safely. Yeah. And you're a runner, so you you you're back to running, yeah. and and do you feel that you're back to the levels that you were? Absolutely, if not better. Yeah. Um, and so what I found was I went through my isolation period. I slowly started to reprogress past that eighty percent max heart rate. I've now been training fully for the past two to three weeks, and I feel great. Yeah. And from a from a performance and athletic standpoint, I feel just about normal. Um, Albeit, I probably need to get faster so I can win some more races. Um, but, yeah, I've been feeling great. So hopefully a lot of our community can can have that feeling too. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.